0: to open up this morning with a couple scripture passages here. Both of them are found in Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, verse 16. This is out of the Amplified Version. The people who are sitting or living in spiritual darkness have seen a great light. And for those who are sitting or living in the land and shadow of spiritual and moral death, upon them a great light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, and in brackets, which means change your inner self, your old way of thinking, regret past sins, live your life in a way that proves repentance, seek God's purpose for your life, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, this is also in the Amplified, You are the light of Christ to the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone put a lamp, light a lamp, and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good deeds and moral excellence, and recognize and honor and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Amen? And that passage, those two passages right there, is really what I want to build this entire, what I want to share with you. This is what we're going to build off of. And also, before I get started, sorry, I'm a little bit distracted here, but Pastor David called in sick this morning. That's why I'm up here with you guys. He called me at 5 o'clock in the morning to let me know that he wasn't going to make it he thought he would be okay by now because he's had this lingering sickness, and he thought he would be okay and be fine for this morning, but he wasn't, so he called me at five in the morning to see if I could share with you guys this morning, and he was like, you know, I know it's last second. If you want to share what you had for Band of Brothers, that would be great, or if you have something else, you know, so I was like, of course, Daddy, we got your back, you know, you ain't got to worry about anything. We're going we're gonna to do that, so uh, he was just... You know, obviously his, his thoughts are always with you guys, and so I, I give you greetings from him and my mom, but they're not here this morning. Sorry, that was the first thing I should have said. <laughs> Rachel's like, your dad, you know, I'm like, oh yeah, he, my dad's not here, if y'all haven't noticed, so. Um, so anyway, those two passages is really the launching pad for what I want to share with you guys this morning, and, it, and that is kingdom culture leading in the world. Kingdom culture leading in the world. So first, I want to begin by just talking to you guys about culture. And what is culture? We hear that word a lot, pop culture, you know, today's culture and culture, culture. And sometimes these words, if we don't pause and really define them, we can miss the different uh, themes that are trying to be communicated here. But a culture is a set of shared attitudes and that's a key word I want you' all to grab onto: shared. Shared attitudes, values, goals and practices that characterizes an institution or organization. So culture, whatever that culture is, has a large and heavy influence on the people in that culture. Whatever that purveying culture is, the people are going to be affected by that. They're going to be led by that. And whether we like to admit it or not, people aren't completely individuals. We are a social being, you know. We have desire for love, to be loved, to give love, to be liked, to fit in. All these things where it's like, oh, you're so weak if you just fit in or whatever, but everybody's like that. We all have that innate desire to be accepted. So because of that desire to be accepted, we largely follow the culture that we're in. And whether you know it or not, you're affected, you're influenced by that culture. And that's why it's so important for us to have these minds of ours renewed in the word of God, in meditation, in with the Holy Spirit, in prayer. You know, allowing God in his kingdom's culture, the connection to the body is so critical because the culture that we surround ourselves in, that we open up ourselves to, is going to affect us. It's going to influence us. It's going to influence the way you think and the way you see the world. It's going to influence your lifestyle. It's going to influence what you say. It's going to influence everything. And what's interesting about culture is that it's shaped by leaders. And it's not that many of them. Think about this for a moment. We think that maybe a culture is just, oh, well, the majority thinks this, or the majority thinks that. But the majority doesn't end up thinking something until somebody tells them what to think mm-hmm. or how to be. you know. And it's these leaders that the people look up to that steers the culture. Yeah. The entire culture which in turn then steers everybody else. So you got a small minority of people who tell the culture how to be, and then the culture tells everybody else how to be. You see how that works? Can you see how important culture is if we're trying to influence people to God? How important that is? So, and we hear them called trendsetters, you know, things like that. It doesn't take much, like the rudder of a ship, to tell that ship where to go. It doesn't take but a few tweets from certain people or something to tell an entire culture which way to go. And what we're in right now is a spiritual battle over our culture. And that's the same for everybody in the world. Every culture in the world, there's a spiritual battle over that culture because of what that culture can do because of the influence that it has on people, on souls. And let's always remember and never and never lose sight of the fact that this whole world is sub, separated into two parts. Every person, you're either on the blessed side of the cross and you've been redeemed, or you're on the cursed side of the cross and you haven't yet been redeemed. And so the world, the world, all the souls of men, are in the middle of a tug-of-war between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, between hell and heaven, between the spirit of Christ who came into the world and the spirit of Antichrist is a constant struggle for the souls of men. And we have a responsibility, we have a high calling to be the light of the world, to represent Christ to the world. And we need to be pulling on the souls of men with every thing that we got. And we need to be going through every tool, every channel, every opportunity that we have to pull their hearts and call them to God. Amen? Because we don't want to see them go to hell. Proof of just how important this culture is that we're talking about is look how hard Satan goes after the culture. Look how hard he tries to use certain people in a, in a society to steer that culture away from God, right? And, and when Jesus came, who was the culture leaders of Jesus' day? The Pharisees, the religious leaders. The religious leaders were it. And it wasn't even necessarily because the people adored the religious leaders, but that's who had the position, that's who had the mic if you will. And they asserted themselves and their authority in the in the land. Their, I say their authority, but their influence in the land. And it was largely on them, the shepherd of the sheep, that Jesus was condemning when he came into the world. He condemned them as the blind leading the blind. They both fall into a ditch. And in our culture that we live in, it's not religious teachers that are the leaders of our culture, it's government officials, it's education personnel, it's business leaders, and entertainment leaders. The You know, and there's others, but these are the people, these are the positions, I would say, that tell the culture how to be. And then that culture either leads people to God or away from God. And I don't think I have to convince you guys who is leading our culture today in our culture you know we're talking about american culture you know our culture you know and, and it started they the the devil took firm grasp of certain governmental leadership type positions and said no more prayer in schools no more god in this separation of church and state God doesn't belong here, religion doesn't belong here, just started severing all the ties of influence that the church had on influencing and leading the culture. And we've been seeing over the last few decades the decay of our society in America because of that cultural shift. We've been banned and we've been deceived into thinking that We just don't have any place in the world, in these government, education, business, entertainment. Like, it's a sin for us to impose our beliefs on other people. When it's our beliefs, that will save their life and their soul. And then we say we believe it, but then we don't fight to share it with anybody as if, "Eh, well, it may or may not be true. I ain't going to say anything. I'm not going to stand up to that. I don't want to take a chance on being canceled I don't want to embarrass myself. I don't want to lose my job. You see what I'm saying? But do we really believe that people are going to hell? If you really believed that the building next door was on fire and there was people inside, wouldn't you run out there and start doing something about it? So we need to ask ourselves, all the souls that are going to hell and what are we doing about it? What are we doing to influence the culture that steers them so heavily in one way or the other. And I want to make something clear before I continue, is the church is not called to establish an earthly kingdom. We are part of a heavenly, eternal kingdom. We are passing through this world. We're citizens of another kingdom. And we're not citizens of this world. We're citizens of heaven. So you would never see in a true uh, Christian-ran country, let's say, like America, when it, it was founded with these Judeo-Christian values and principles that formed our laws and, and really set the course for what a nation should be, there was never going to be a, a cross set up in Washington, D.C., and it said, if you don't make your trip to Washington, D.C. and bow before the cross, you're going to jail. You know what I mean? It's never like the Crusades back in the in the days of the Crusades and whatnot, where it was like, convert or die. You know, you have to be this religion. You have to be that religion. No, the true spirit of Christ, the, stu- the true spirit of Christianity is freedom. It's freedom to choose. It's an invitation by a gentleman. One of the fruits of the Spirit is gentleness. God makes himself available to us. He goes out of his way with the cross to make himself available to To mankind. And then he gives them the freedom to choose. Because without choice, you can't truly love. Love is a choice. You have to choose to give your heart to somebody. And he loves us and he wants our love in return. So he would never impose himself and set up a a statue of himself and say, Bow to me or die. You know what I mean? That's what the world does. We don't do that. But we give freedom. We bring freedom, and we say the reason we're doing this is because of God's love coming through us, and we invite you to come know Him. Let me set you free from your captives. Let me bring you healing. Let me help you with your education. Let me give you good moral teaching, and let me tell you why, where all this is coming from. And see for yourself. Taste and see that the Lord is good. We're just here to present that to them. We represent Well, we represent to the world the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus did. And it all started with Jesus. When he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the cross was at hand. The kingdom of heaven, when he came into the earth, he established the kingdom of heaven on earth. He sowed the seeds of eternal life into this world, and they've grown and spread worldwide. So this is not a physical war. We're not battling over who gets to hang their flag over the White House. This is a spiritual, world, or a spiritual war for men's souls, for people's souls. All right? So before I continue, I do want to say that it's okay to struggle with some of this because it has been a struggle for me. You know, you, you don't want to go one way. You don't want to go off... The, the right way, the narrow road, you don't want to get distracted with things in the world because we're trying to focus on heaven and we got to win souls and you don't want to get too caught up in politics or whatever's going on in the world. So it can be a struggle with, man, I had this burning desire to represent truth and righteousness in the public and in the culture, but at the same time, it may just, it may you know... Uh, it may rub somebody the wrong way, and then maybe they won't get saved, and I really just need to focus on loving people and feeding the poor and, and you know, try to pray with people to receive Christ. So it, it can be this tension or this struggle inside on what does God want us to do. And I want to share real briefly someone else who had a similar struggle like this. How many of you all have heard of William Carey? Anybody? He's known as the father of modern missions. And he was living in England, and this was around the time of the Revolutionary War. And he grew up in the Church of England. And his dad was like an Anglican pastor, very official in the official Church of England. And during his time, they had what was called uh, these, I think they called them nonconformists. Nonconformists. And these were Baptists and Presbyterian and other Christians who would not submit to the king as the head of the church. They believed that God and Jesus was the head of the church. And so they were nonconformists, and they were heavily persecuted in his day. They couldn't get jobs. They would lose their jobs, or this, or that, and the other, because that is an example. The Church of England was an example of the church being like ruling the state, and if you didn't submit to, you know, you were an outcast. Well, William Carey ended up converting to nonconformists, but then God didn't stop there with him when he pulled him out of that religious structure. He actually got a burden for heathens worldwide that didn't know the gospel, that didn't know about Jesus. And even in the nonconformist church, there was this sentiment that, well, the heathens will be taken care of. God will take care of them. And actually, he doesn't even need us to do anything about it because God is sovereign and he's all-powerful. And if he wants them to know about Jesus, he'll make sure they know about Jesus. And that sounds so twisted to us today, but that was how it was back then. And William Carey was one of the only people, like one salmon going against a hundred salmon. Saying, no, we need to bring them the gospel. They're in these foreign lands. They need to know about Jesus. And the, and the church was like, no, that was the disciples' job. They brought the, they brought the gospel. And when they died, it died with them. And you, you can understand this tension that he felt. And he wanted to submit and, you know, all this stuff. But he had this burning love and this burning desire that something needed to be done. And so he ended up becoming a missionary to India. And then he went on to become known as the father of modern missions. And when he uh, came into India, obviously they didn't have any gospel. And there was practices there in that Hindu culture where they would practice child sacrifice. They would bring their children to the mouth of one of these rivers and throw their children into the river to appease the gods so that they would be blessed and all this stuff. And then they also practiced something called sati, which was when a widow uh, of a husband who died, she actually had to be laid and tied down to the husband's body and burned alive with the husband's body, and the two of them would be reunited in the afterlife or something like that. But these were two very strong cultural things that you did not question. That was their religion. You didn't question that. And here comes this Christian all the way from the other side of the world, basically, from Great Britain. And he actually led an effort to abolish both of those things. But that's just a beautiful example of Christ, the light of the world, shining. Saying it's our responsibility to represent the goodness of God, moral excellence to the world. Even if i got to get on a ship, risk my life, learn another language to do that, it's our call. It's a high call to do that. And, and we know where missions is today and the, and the value of that. But it, it never was like that, believe it or not, in William Carey's day. In fact, William Wilberforce, I'm sorry I'm throwing all this history at you guys, but William Wilberforce, he spearheaded the abolition of the slave trade. And he was in parliament in Great Britain, and they were contemporaries with one another, The same William Wilberforce actually also helped William Carey abolish some of these practices in India. Isn't that amazing? So two men, obviously there was others, but two men helped to change the entire world. Did they do that by themselves? No. The Spirit of God did that through them. But that is what history says. That is what we can look back and say... A sovereign God did something supernatural and used these couple of men to do it. And God wrote that story. And a lot of times people call history his story because it is all God's story. So if we want to be effective in influencing our culture in whatever way, part of the earth, time that we live in, we need to be able to discern the times that we're in. And the way that God helps us to do that, because it can be so frustrating, it can be so difficult to discern that. You know what I mean? We know that we want to submit to the authority in the land. We want to honor God. We want to honor the king. We want to be good citizens and all these things. But then at the same time, if they're killing babies at the local abortion clinic, we need to do something about it. You know, there's always this inner struggle there, like, what is the right thing to do? And many times, it is not something that you can go open the Bible and flip to Psalms 34 or 5, and it says, do this, don't do that. You know what I mean? And so, God has gifts that He's given to the church, and I've actually gotten to share about this before. But the offices of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, are offices that God gifted the body of Christ with, And the office of the prophet is critical to helping the church discern the times, spiritually discern the times that they're in, in the, in the situations that they're facing. And we are blessed to have uh, someone who has been uh, not just a prophet for, for us, you know, but, but a prophet to the nation, Brother Rod, who was here a few weeks ago. Y'all, we were so blessed to be able to have him here. But for, for decades, he has been a prophet to the nation that God has used. And I just want to share a Facebook post that he shared to just help us to discern the time that we're in right now. This was October 15th on Facebook. He said, A prophetic update. Over the past three decades, the church has lost her salt. She was so busy building her own kingdom That she withdrew from the seven mountains of culture, which includes government and politics. As she withdrew and slept in her materialism, the enemy took our nation. So in our desperate and carnal state, let's cry out in repentance. Restore us again, O God, of our salvation. Put aside your anger against us. Revive us again, that we might rejoice in you. Psalms 85, 4, and 6. Father, in Jesus' name. We repent of our carnality and materialism. Take the sugar out of us and put the salt in us that we will confront evil in every arena of our culture, news media, entertainment, big business and pharma, education and big government or politics, now the communism of the radical left. That's an example. It's going to be difficult for you to go find a chapter and verse in the Bible that just says it all, what you need to know right there. In front of you. Another example of this is these days that we're facing right now with these mandatory vaccines. You know, there's this war over who should be able to choose what you have to inject into your body. You know, something like that even can divide the church and it can be difficult to know what's right and what's wrong. You know, and we all love and we all see one side of love where, hey, shoot me up. I don't care if it helps somebody, I'll do it. And the other side of love that says, no, their freedom's more important than that. And everybody's body's different. And we need to let them consult the doctors. But you can see how it can be difficult at times to discern what do we do? Who do we support? Who do we vote for? Who do I listen to and trust? You know what I mean? And God has gifted the body of Christ with the office of the prophet. And we know that not everybody who calls himself a prophet is a prophet. We know that. So you have to be very careful who you listen to and open up your heart and your mind to to allow to speak into your life, to help give you that kind of guidance. And that's what's so critical about being plugged in and submitted to a local church where God has placed these offices over his body. He's appointed them. They're not volunteer positions. You don't volunteer to be a prophet. God appoints prophets. You don't volunteer to be a pastor. God appoints pastors. They're called out. They're called up. And a lot of times they don't want to be called on. They're like, no, I'm like Pastor Carl. He had a successful business, beauty school. He was making money, doing great, and God called him into the ministry. And he was broke starting out. You know, God's blessed him since. But, you know, these positions, these offices are God's gifts to the body. First Chronicles twelve thirty two gives us an example in the Old Testament, actually. From the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives. All these men understood the signs of the times and knew the best course for Israel to take. That's just an example of all throughout history, God guiding his people in the way they should go. And sometimes that can be tricky, but we're very blessed. God has taken care of us to know. So things won't always be clear-cut, chapter and verse, and it's okay to struggle because you're you're seeking truth. You want what's right. You don't just want what everybody says or what somebody told you. You want what's right, and you want to exert your energy toward what's right. And I have a lot of energy. I have a lot of passion, sometimes too much, and I want to exert it. I want to chase down an enemy and Slay it, you know, and set somebody free and guide somebody towards what's right and rebuke a lie and say what's true. And I have this fight in me. I want to do that, you know, but I don't want to do it and be wrong. You know what I mean? I don't want to be fighting the wrong battle or, you know, so that tension that's inside of you, it's a good tension to have. And it's a humbling atten- uh, tension to have because we don't know anything, God knows. You know, we need to submit to authority, spiritual authority that he's placed in our lives. We need to seek godly counsel from that leadership that God's put in our life. So the prophetic voice is like a watchman on the walls helping to identify an enemy, a threat, and confronting the evil in their day, in their culture, that's warring over the souls of people. The prophet helps to discern that. So let's look at our times, just for a moment here, and the difference between the Spirit of God at work in our culture and the Spirit of Antichrist at work in our culture. And some basic terms that we can all grab onto pretty easily would be terms like good versus evil, freedom versus enslavement, enslavement is destruction, it's evil, freedom is is good for people to have freedom you know so what a big part of what we're fighting with today is we've been given freedom which we know was born from the spirit of god he allowed people very humble meager people to obtain freedom for generations and if you don't know your history it's a miracle that america exists it's an absolute miracle And there would have been just hairline changes in the course of this nation and its history that would have forever changed whether or not America existed, which would have changed so many things in the world. But God threaded that needle so perfectly. The more you learn, the more your mind is blown away. It's like nature. It's like science. The deeper scientists get, the more they learn about nature, about physics, about astrology, about the cosmos, my mom, it would blow your mind. You just see this fine, fine thread that God used to just weave this whole thing together to where we're sitting in a room right now. It's an absolute miracle. So the freedom that we have is good. It's a good thing, and it's worth defending, and it's worth passing on to those who come, before, come after us. I'd like to test you all just for a moment in your discerning and your theology to see how you would fit into these categories. Would you have been... Would you have joined the colonists in fighting for independence or been a loyalist to King George? Would you have been praying and believing for victory over Hitler and Stalin... Or called it hopeless because we were in the end times. If you were in Afghanistan right now, would you be preaching to the people to submit to the Taliban or push back and defend their freedom? Would you have joined Martin Luther King in the streets and fought for desegregation and equal rights? And he paid the price for that, he died. Would you have joined William Wilberforce as he fought to end the slave trade? That was a David versus Goliath fight, just so y'all know. That was a big deal. Would you have joined the team with Pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the plot to assassinate Hitler? He died too. He got caught. And Hitler hanged him. But he also wrote the book, Cost of Discipleship, which we read today. Would you have joined Operation Rescue and thousands of pastors when they were blockading the entrances to abortion clinics? That's where Pastor Keith and Brother Rod met in jail after being arrested for that. Pastor Keith, in fact, has been arrested over 50 times in the the pro-life fight and in bringing the gospel worldwide. He's been arrested in Egypt, I think the Soviet Union. Where do we stand in all this? For 2,000 years, the kingdom of heaven and our king has been on this earth and he's been writing his story. Where do we fit in his story today? Where would we fit when you look back when he was writing his story? Satan's goal, I want y'all to, if y'all hear anything else, please hear this. Satan's goal is to neutralize the church in this earth. Is to neutralize the effect that the church has in this earth. In guiding people to God. He can't stop the light, right? He's the absence of light, which is darkness. Darkness can never overcome light or extinguish it. But what he can do is convince us to stop shining. Put our light under a basket. And that's what he tries to do 24-7. And while he's been doing that, he's been getting away with it for the last few decades, he laughs his way to murdering the unborn children in America promoting homosexuality and transgenderism to our children, and all sorts of sexual immorality, making a mockery out of the marriage covenant, celebrating drunkenness, which is leading a whole population headlong into destruction, all under the watch of a sleeping church. 2 Timothy 3.5 says, holding, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such people like these. They, they have something that works for them, but they deny its power to work for the whole world. So they just isolate themselves in their little corner and meet together. A lot of today's religious leaders are very seeker friendly. They're more concerned about their numbers and their platform and their influence and their reputation to the world than they are about demonstrating the power of God and standing in in the face of evil. John 7, 7, Jesus said, The world can't hate you, but it does hate me because I accuse it of doing evil. And, you know, it's a sad truth is that the world can't hate some of today's religious leaders. They're great. (laughs) They say great talks. It's all love, and they'll go to the church too. You know, there's there's no confrontation there. There's no wait a minute, what you're, what you're doing is wrong. Separation of church and state has done a lot to, to push the church away, cause us to isolate. This mentality of it's all going to burn anyway, you know. We're in the end times, brother, just let it burn, you know. Politics is dirty, you know. Don't want anything to do with that. Everybody's slinging mud at each other. It's nasty. We just got to stay out of all that confrontation. Or it's, a, or it's a distraction, you know, it's a stumbling block. We just need to win souls. If we offend somebody, they may not get saved. And, and I love sharing the testimony of my sister Hannah, who we weren't intentionally trying to offend her, but everything that came out of our mouth offended her. And we didn't want to, and it broke our heart. There was times where me and Rachel, she was, we were afraid that we were pushing Hannah away from God. But then when Hannah came to the Lord, She told us that y'all were right about everything. Telling my parents, y'all were right about everything. Don't stop, you know. So, So just keep in mind that the enemy's number one tactic is to lull us to sleep, and we just focus on our own achievements and the love of this earth, the love of money, the love of success, and we wouldn't want to jeopardize that for anything. If he can get our hearts so intertwined with this world We won't jeopardize our life and the comfort and the goals and everything that we have going on in this life. We wouldn't jeopardize it for anything. That's how he keeps us at bay. We need to have the attitude like Queen Esther had when she found out that her people were going to be wiped out. Mordecai, her uncle, alerted her. And she knew what she had to do. She needed to go unsummoned before the king, which was an immediate death penalty. To go before the king unsummoned was a death penalty, even as the queen. And you know what her attitude was before she decided to do that? If I must die, then I must die. Doesn't that sound a lot like the people in Revelations who overcame? They overcame because they loved their life. Not They didn't love their life so much that they were afraid to die. We can't be afraid to lose what we have here in this life. It's our agape love that God's put in us that is a self-sacrificial love. And I'd like to define that as I get close to closing here. Agape love, and it's a couple slides down. I think I skipped a little bit. But agape love is a sacrificial love. It's a love that voluntarily suffers inconvenience, discomfort, and even death for the benefit of another without expecting anything in return. Agape love is shown by what it does. C.S. Lewis describes this love like this. It's not, it, it's not an affectionate feeling, but a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained. And that's what this agape love that's in us that says, you know what? If I must die, then I must die. Because they're worth it. Because our children are worth it. Because this world is worth it. William Carey, if I must go up against the entire nation of Great Britain, the Church of England, and the nonconformists, then if I must die, then I must die. If I must lose my job, if I must lose my reputation, then I must lose it because those souls are worth it. When we decide to go be a voice at the school board or go you know, try to fight for some of these children, then if I must die, then I must die. If, if we must be cast out, then we must be cast out. But those kids can't look and say you knew that they were trying to change my gender and mutilate my body and you didn't say anything you didn't do anything where were you where were you when all this was going on where were, when you're talking to your children grandchildren great-grandchildren where were you when all this crazy when our nation was under attack and communism was trying to take over our country where were you when they were trying to force people uh to get vaccinated and they had no choice where were you you know and the history, like imagine if you were in Nazi Germany just as a citizen of Nazi Germany and some one of your grandkids asking, where were you during the concentration camps? Well, you know, we were going to church and the trains would come by and, you know, we just sang louder to drown out the noise of the train. We were praying for them, bless him, Lord, save the Jews. That's not okay. That's not agape love, right? So where do we stand in all of this? Is something that we need to ask ourselves. That agape love needs to come out of us and the world is groaning for it. Romans 8:19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The lease on freedom in America is up. It's over. The lease is up, and the bill is on the table right now. The generations that have gone before us, they fought for that freedom. They paid for it with their lives. They lost jobs. They lost everything. They said, if I must die, then I must die. But this is worth it. This is what agape love looks like. That bill's on our table. Are we going to pay for that bill? Are we going to pay the lease for the next generation's? Or are we going to be too afraid to get embarrassed or to speak up or to lose something or or be inconvenienced? We can make a difference. And that's one thing that the devil does not want us to think. We can make a difference and we're called to make a difference. And his story is proof of that. God's story in history is proof of that. And I want to, this could encourage somebody. 2 Thessalonians 2, 6 through 7. And you know what restrains him now from being revealed. It is so that he will be revealed at his own appointed time. For the mystery of lawlessness, rebellion against divine authority, and the coming reign of lawlessness is already at work. But it is restrained only until he who now restrains it is taken out of the way. That's talking about the Antichrist. That's talking about the end time events that will come. They are coming. But he doesn't have complete control and authority. He's restrained. And we have work to do. We don't just abandon the work because, well, it's all going to burn anyway. No, he's being restrained so we can do our work. If it weren't so, the slave trade would be raging right now. If it wasn't so, there'd be slavery raging right now. If it wasn't so, there'd be child sacrifice and sati, and all these things would have only gained in momentum. There'd be less freedom. The whole world would be communist, not more freedom. So there's work that the church has been called to do that we need to find out from God where do we fit into all of this. And listen, it may not be running for office. It may not be getting in you know, taking on some influential role. It may just be learning how to support the right people. It may be just getting educated on what is going on because it matters. It may be, hey, I used to give so-and-so a hard time, but I'm going to support them now in what they're doing to try to help people. You know, I thought maybe they were off base, but maybe they're good for pursuing politics and getting involved, you know, things like that. And I want to make something clear as I close and I'm going to share those two scriptures that I just shared. But in the body of Christ there's also this tension between the family side of the body which could be more like your pastors, your teachers, you know, evangelism and the governmental side of the body that's like your apostles and your prophets and evangelists and we all have different callings. We all have different roles in the body. You know, some are nursery workers, and they need to nursery, watch those children, and pour out the love of God with everything that they have. And some need to be at the city gates calling evil evil and be at the steps of the, of the Capitol getting arrested for his name's sake, You know, but we're all one body. It's not for the one at the Capitol to say, come on, you're letting the world go to hell. You're letting it burn. And it's not for the nursery worker to say, hey, you're being distracted. You need to get out of that environment and just come hug somebody and tell somebody about Jesus. You know, we we need to be winning souls and we need to be, for his name's sake, showing the world what his kingdom looks like, what kingdom culture looks like. And then we need to, as they win, as we win their souls, we need to help them see where they fit and what their purpose is and all of this to help win more souls. So as I close, Matthew chapter 4, verse 16. I'm going to read these two passages again. The people who were sitting or living in spiritual darkness have seen a great light. And for those who are sitting or living in the land and shadow of spiritual and moral death, upon them a great light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, change your inner self, your old way of thinking, regret past sins, live your life in a way that proves repentance, seek God's purpose for your life, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 16, You are the light of, the, you are the light of Christ to the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good deeds and moral excellence, and recognize and honor and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Amen. Amen. Y'all can bow your heads with me this morning.